in life, there are some activities that we should outsource, that we should pay others to do, and there are other activities that we should do ourselves. And in this pandemic, you see a lot of people not able to outsource haircuts and dental work and eye care, and this is troublesome. But even outside of this pandemic, even before this pandemic started, there were people who were outsourcing activities that they should not do themselves. Listen to this story. So one show I would sometimes watch in Dallas, a show is called Extreme Cheapskates. Now in this show, this show is not just about cheapskates. I would say I'm a cheapskate, but this show did not call me to be on the show. This is about extreme cheapskates. And these extreme cheapskates, what they would do is they would do activities that the vast majority of people would outsource. They would do them themselves. So one story was about a woman who had a toothache. And what she chose to do was that she had her husband pull her own tooth. Now, as the story goes, this woman had the money to pay a dentist to pull her tooth. In the story, in the show, the, the doctor, the dentist, charges about $200 to pull her tooth. But because she was a, an extreme cheapskate, she had her husband do it herself. Now, even in the Midwest, with our can-do spirit, there are some activities that we should outsource. And if you need dental work, and if you have the money, you should very, very, I strongly encourage you to outsource that work. Now, other things in life, other activities, we should never outsource. There are some things that we can and must do ourselves. And as it pertains to this context, I think you know where I'm going. Ministry is one of those activities that we should never outsource. God calls all Christians to ministry. Ministry is both for the professionals, for those who are paid to do it, for pastors, but also ministry is for those who are not in full-time ministry. Ministry is something that the Lord calls all of us to do. And we've been exploring that theme for the past couple of weeks. And this week, this is our third week in this Models of Ministry. Now with that short introduction, let's go ahead and turn to Philippians 2. Last week we explored verses 19 through 24. We explored Timothy, five verses. And this week we're just going to be exploring Epaphroditus with one verse. Philippians 2, 25. We cannot outsource ministry, dear friend. When we do, we forsake many of the blessings that God gives to Christians. Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25. This is what Paul says of Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Paul here deals with this gentleman by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is only mentioned in the book of Philippians, but he has massive importance for Paul, for the Philippians, and for us Christians. Paul labels, Paul gives five titles to Epaphroditus. Look again in verse 25. 
Those five titles are this. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and your minister to my need. There's five titles there. And what I want you to notice here is that three of those titles Paul uses with reference to himself. Epaphroditus' relationship with Paul is characterized with three titles. And those titles come at the beginning of the other two. So those titles are my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. That's Paul's understanding of Epaphroditus. Those are the titles that Paul gives to Epaphroditus in relationship to Paul. Now the other two titles, you notice how they're modified by this word, your. Those titles are describe the relationship that Epaphroditus has to the Philippian church. So there's five titles, and they can be understood in two ways. One is Epaphroditus' relationship to Paul, and the other is Epaphroditus' relationship to the Philippian church. Now we're going to start with the latter category, Epaphroditus' relationship to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi. So go ahead and write that down for, your first, for our first point this morning. Epaphroditus in relation to the Philippians. Paul gives two titles to Epaphroditus in this relationship. Now I'm starting here because we want to know a little bit of biographical information about Epaphroditus. Paul doesn't introduce him to us, he just begins writing about him. And so we want to understand who he is first, some biographical information. And Paul gives that here with these two titles. First, So the first point is Epaphroditus' relationship to the Philippians. And the first title that Paul gives here is this notion of messenger, your messenger. Do you see that there? Dear friend, I really want us to be looking in our Bibles as we're going through this passage. Messenger. This word for messenger translates the Greek word apostolos. Apostolos. Now, as you can tell by the sound of that Greek word, That is where we get the English word apostle. So Paul here describes Epaphroditus with this word apostolos. Now apostolos can be understood in a number of different ways. One way is the technical theological sense of an apostle of Jesus Christ. That type of understanding of this word refers to that select group of people, of men who saw the risen Lord and who were sent out by Jesus Christ himself in his resurrection body to go and preach the gospel. Now that is not how Paul is describing Epaphroditus here. Paul is describing Epaphroditus in a slightly different way. Apostolos can also mean messenger. In the ancient world, when a church would send out someone on a task, on a mission the word that that church would give to that person was apostolos. They were a messenger on behalf of the church. And that's what Epaphroditus, that's how Epaphroditus is labeled here. He is labeled as a messenger. Now Epaphroditus' mission was to go from Philippi to where Paul was imprisoned, which we think was Rome. That was his mission. And his mission was to take with him a message. Now, to really understand this, we have to remember that in the ancient world, there was no email. There was no snail mail. 
the way that you got a message from point A to point B in the ancient world is you had to walk or go by horse or sail. Now Philippi, the distance from Philippi to Rome was considerable. Depending upon what route you would take, scholars believe that it was about 800 miles. Now that's a long way. And if you traveled by foot, that could take you three months. Now there were faster ways to get there. We don't know how long it took Epaphroditus to get there. But I want you to to understand and see that this journey was treacherous. This was a long journey. And Epaphroditus went to Paul. He traveled this long distance with a message. We don't know what that message was. We don't know what that message was. However, Epaphroditus, after spending some time with Paul, Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Look again at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, how did this letter that Paul wrote in Rome get back to Philippi? Epaphroditus brought it back. So Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to Rome. And while in Rome, we'll explore in the next, in, in the next title, Epaphroditus ministered to Paul. And Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter. Tremendous. Epaphroditus was a messenger. He brought to Paul a message, and he brought back from Paul to Philippi a message. And that message is this book. So that was Epaphroditus, one of Epaphroditus's, excuse me, one of his tasks. He was a messenger. He had to travel a long distance, a perilous journey, to take to Paul a message and to bring back from Paul a message, being this book. And Paul gives him another title in relation to the Philippians. He refers to him as a minister to my need. So Epaphroditus' purpose was to take a message to Paul and also to minister to Paul. Epaphroditus met a practical need on Paul's behalf. Now to understand this need, turn to Philippians 4, 14. The Bible really is an amazing book, isn't it? This stuff actually happened. I, I've kind of been overwhelmed by that, that, this, that these are people and places that, that took place. This is history. And the need that Paul had is specified in 4.14. We will read to verse 18. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Here Paul is talking to the Philippians. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, 
having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now keep your, keep your finger there, and now turn to 1-3. We're trying to make sense of this letter as a whole, understand the historical situation in which this letter was written. Philippians 1-3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul, throughout this letter of the, to the Philippians, Paul gives us a historical window into what's happening behind this letter. And the way we construct the history behind this is this bringing together all of these passages. So as Paul says in chapter 4, the Philippians had been faithful to Paul in partnering with him in the very beginning stages of his ministry. They had been faithful to him. Paul mentions this in 1.5, this partnership in the gospel. And Paul mentions this in 4.15. In one way that the Philippian church expressed to Paul this partnership is providing for his physical needs via finances. 4.18 For I received full payment. They're sending him money. Now how did that money get there? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the one who would take the money to Paul. Now, once again, in the ancient world, there was no electronic transfer of funds. You could not give me your bank account number and me send you money just with some strokes on a keyboard. To get a message and to get money in the ancient world required someone to physically take that money. And once again, remembering the distance, the length of the journey. Now, why, why would Paul need money? If he's in prison, why would he need money? In ancient prisons, they did not feed the prisoners. The, the type of prison system that we have here in America is a relatively new phenomenon. In the ancient world, they wouldn't feed their prisoners. And so Paul had needs. 2.25, a minister to my need. Paul needed to eat. And he needed money to buy food. And also he needed someone to take that money to go buy the food and to bring the food back. Now I'm filling in the gaps here, but this makes sense. Epaphroditus brought to Paul this money. And he would use the money to go buy food for Paul and to bring that food back from the marketplace in Rome to Paul in prison. And the distance that he had to travel. And the perils that Epaphroditus had to face. This was the type of man that Epaphroditus was. He was a servant. He was an apostle, a messenger on behalf of the Philippians. And he went to Paul and met a very practical need. And while there, Paul found Epaphroditus very useful. So useful that he entrusted this letter to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, after ministering to Paul 
and becoming sick, almost dying, as we will explore next week. He brought that letter back and gave it to the Philippians. And that letter was copied and copied, and now we're reading it. You see the historical significance of Epaphroditus, a man that history knows very little of, but who has had a massive impact upon Christian history. So those are the two titles that Paul uses in relation of Epaphroditus in relation to the Philippians. He was a messenger. He went to Paul and came back. Now, in getting to know Epaphroditus, Paul has some tremendous titles to label him with. And there are three of them. So I'm moving to my second point here. Epaphroditus in relation to Paul. There's three titles here. The first, the first way that Paul refers to Epaphroditus is with this notion of a brother. A brother. You can imagine Paul being in the plight that he was and the affection and the love that Paul would have for Epaphroditus and journeying all that way just to provide for Paul's needs. Paul's love and affection is bubbling up here. And he doesn't just refer to him as brother. This my qualifies this word brother. Paul has this intimate love for Epaphroditus for what he's done for him. And this notion of brother highlights one of the central ways that the Bible describes the church. We are the family of God. And this family has God the Father as the Father, our Father who art in heaven. The Father has adopted us. Listen to this passage. Romans eight fourteen through 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In the household of faith, in the church, our relationship to one another is largely defined by this notion of brother or sister. We share together in the same Father. And that Father has sent His Spirit in us and has changed our hearts. And the basis of that change, the effect of that change, is, is that we confess that God is our Father. And because God is our Father, we share with one another this confession of brother and sister. So here we have Father and Spirit working, but listen to what Jesus does. Jesus, too, has a role to play in this relationship that we have to God the Father and to one another. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God the Father has birthed us, Christians. He has sent his spirit inside of us to testify 
that we are children of God. And Jesus is the one who gives us that right. Here we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to produce this confession both in us and in Paul towards Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is Paul's brother. The second title that Paul gives to Epaphroditus, once again, 2.25, Paul refers to Epaphroditus as a fellow worker. Now this label is a common one that Paul gives to those who labor beside him in the gospel. Look with me at 4.2, Philippians 4.2. Paul mentions here two women. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So this title, this fellow worker, is one that Paul gives to a number of Christians. He gives it to these women, Eudia and Syntyche. He gives it to Clement. And he gives it to the rest, the rest of my fellow workers in Philippi. So this was a common title. And if you think about Epaphroditus' journey, what he had to do to get to Paul and back to Philippi, it certainly involved a significant degree of labor. This was not easy for Epaphroditus to do. It taking months to get to Paul and months to get back to Philippi with this one mission in mind, to meet the needs of the Apostle Paul. This involved work, labor, exertion. And this highlights an aspect of Christian ministry and an aspect of Christianity that I've touched on a number of times. When Christ saves us, he calls us to labor for him. We are not saved by our works, but the reason why God saves us is to work. We all, all of us, are called to labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christianity, we are not called to be observers of those who labor and work. We are not called to be some type of couch potato Christianity who pays others to do the work and who simply watches as an observer. What the Lord wants us to do in this life is to labor, to work. And dear friend, this is difficult. It is not easy to work for the Lord. But the Bible says in this life, this life is a life of sacrifice, difficulty, and exertion. There is coming rest. There is coming peace. There is coming the day when we will be able to enjoy not working. But that is not in this life. What the Lord calls us to do is to work and to labor for him. So therefore, we can have this title. 
we can be considered, along with Paul and along with all Christians who have labored, we can be considered a fellow laborer. Last title. Paul refers to Epaphroditus as fellow soldier. What this highlights is that ministry rises above the level of just being hard. The Christian life in general, as we saw from what Pastor Joel Junt mentioned and read from Ephesians 6, the Christian life in general is one of warfare. This is a battle. We are engaged in a temporal conflict regarding eternal truths. We're called in this life to be soldiers. And that's what Paul refers to Epaphroditus as. Soldiers are those who engage in warfare. Soldiers are those who seek to kill the enemy. Now the enemy for Epaphroditus is his own flesh, the world, and the devil. We as Christians do not wage war like the world does. But nonetheless, Christians are referred to as soldiers and warriors. Epaphroditus was one. And this is a title that we want to have for ourselves. Now, this title might raise, for some of you, some reservation. There are some well-meaning Christians. Whenever they read something like this, they might take exception to it. A soldier is someone who is engaged in warfare, and I, I, you know, pastor, I don't want to be engaged in warfare. I just want to love people. And, and, and I, I, I acknowledge the love there. But dear friend, we have to see here that this life is war. Epaphroditus almost lost his life going on this mission for the Philippians. Look at 420. For I have no one like him. Excuse me, sorry. Go to 426. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. Now, dear friend, is that, what is that? That that is a war. The Lord calls us here in this life to war. We are at war in this world. Rest is coming, but it is not here. And much of this life can and should be described as a battle, a war. And we have to see this. We have to appreciate this. We have to allow this to factor into our understanding of ministry. However, there are other Christians who overemphasize this title. There are some Christians who think that everything in the Christian life is war. And I think that's an overemphasis of this. There's some Christians who are always in a battle, always seeking to fight. And just as the the Christian who underemphasizes this notion of war falls into error, so also the Christian, so also those who overemphasize this fall into the same error. And the balance here. The balance with this motif, this this metaphor for understanding the Christian life, can be well understood when we see Epaphroditus' label, verse 25, as a minister. A minister is someone who is sympathetic. 
someone who is compassionate, someone whose love moves them to travel 800 miles from Philippi to Rome to bring Paul money and care. That's love. That's kindness. That's compassion. That's sympathy. That is an essential element of the Christian life. But not only is he a servant, excuse me, not only is he a minister, not only is Epaphroditus someone who has tremendous compassion, Epaphroditus is also a soldier. And the Christian life and ministry is a blend of these two. You think of Jesus Christ. He is the lion and the lamb. Jesus is full of compassion and love and sympathy. That is what moved him to the cross. But Jesus is not soft. The Bible says that he will come again one day as a warrior to judge the living and the dead. And as Christians, we are to embody these two seemingly opposite tendencies. One of infinite compassion and love and mercy, and yet one that is a fighter and that we are warriors. And dear friend, it's important that we do not overemphasize either of these. And just as Epaphroditus, we want to have both of these labels. We want to be categorized and understood as being both a minister and a warrior. And this is where you find really a beautiful synthesis of the Christian life in Epaphroditus. Now up until this point, I have not given any explicit exhortations. I've kind of saved those till the end. And I would like to end with this point of application. Epaphroditus was a tremendous man, a man of tremendous character. And what I personally have been overwhelmed by this passage regarding is Epaphroditus's usefulness. If you think about history and you think about contingencies and how we might not have this letter, I might not be preaching from Philippians this morning had it not been for Epaphroditus. This man who we know very little about who probably in the ancient world did not have much significance. And yet, we are still talking about him today. I am preaching a sermon on the basis of his character. That is a tremendous thought. And the reason why Epaphroditus was, the reason why we're talking about Epaphroditus today is due to his usefulness. The Philippians and Paul had tremendous use for Epaphroditus. He met a great need, and that need was ministering to Paul and bringing the letter back from him. In all of our hearts, dear friend, we all have a desire for purpose. One of my greatest struggles is purposelessness. If I am not in a, a, a part of my life where I feel like I have much purpose, I really struggle. Purpose and meaning is one of the main drivers of my life. And in your life, maybe not to the same degree, but still, you long to live a meaningful life. You long to make a difference 
in the world. We all long to be like Epaphroditus, to have a legacy in which thousands of years later, people know who we are and are talking about us. And the Lord has put these desires in our hearts. These are good desires. Sin does distort these desires, and sin does lead us to turning these desires away from the Lord and to ourselves. But nonetheless, we all have these desires in our lives. And dear friend, the way that God wants to touch your heart regarding those desires, the satisfaction of those desires, the way you have a usefulness and a purpose in this life is through ministry. We have significance in this life and meaning on the basis of us using the resources, the energies, the time, the finances that God has given us, not for ourselves. But what we are to do is we are to pour all of that, all that God has given us, we are to pour it out for others. And as we see through Epaphroditus, a man, maybe in his time, of little significance. His efforts and his impact upon history are absolutely tremendous. And the way that we have a life that impacts this world, the way that we live a life of meaning and purpose is that we have to be useful. We have to be useful to God and to other people. And that usefulness comes through ministry. The more we engage in ministry, the more we pour out all that we have, all the resources that God has given us for others on behalf of Christ, the more useful we become. And the greater our usefulness in this life, the greater our purpose and meaning is. Tr dear friend, there is tremendous reward in engaging in ministry. And if you live for yourself, if you seek to do your own will, if you are a selfish person, you will die with no meaning. But what the Lord invites us to do is to be significant in the world's eyes, but to labor for him. And what the Lord can and will do with us is akin to Epaphroditus. How could you refuse this? And the way to doing this is ministry. Dear friend, will you be involved in ministry? Will you have significance in your life? Tremendous reward. And we see that reward through Epaphroditus. Pray with me. Yes, Father. We don't know this man. We've never met Epaphroditus. Father, he was probably a man of little stature in his age. Probably a nobody. But Father, we see that through your grace, through your kindness, that you've used Epaphroditus greatly. Lord, he was a tremendously useful man. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would follow Epaphroditus' example, that we would long to have these titles of ourselves, 
And the way we would execute on that is to be engaged in ministry. Father, show us the tremendous reward there is in pouring out our lives for others. Father, we pray that the same spirit who is at work in Epaphroditus would be at work in this church and that you would give us a tremendous passion, drive, desire to be useful to you and to others. Father, we pray that you would produce in us a desire and an execution of ministry. All praise to your name. In Christ's name we pray, amen.